Supercast is produced in Melbourne, Australia, also known as Nam, the land of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the traditional custodians of the lands across Australia where this podcast was recorded. We pay respect to their elders past and present and recognise Australian Aboriginal culture as one of the world's oldest storytelling traditions. You're listening to Supercast, a podcast from Assemble Papers in collaboration with RMIT Design Hub. Exploring the sensory and embodied experience of built and unbuilt environments. This question of experience, um, we're not talking about the sort of mantra that quieter is always better. It's what's appropriate. I'm sure you've been to many a, a restaurant where you've got to shout to somebody on the other side of the table. And that's because nobody's thought about acoustics might look wonderful, but as a place to be, it's horrible and it doesn't work. Uh, and you, you end up, uh, you get this funny vicious cycle where it gets a bit louder. And then because it's got a bit louder, you have to be speaking a bit louder to make somebody on the other side of the table hear you and then that means that guy on the next table is talking even louder and it all feeds on itself and you get this vicious circle it's called the Lombard effect and you'll see it all around Melbourne where you've got somebody said oh let's take the ceilings out let's take the carpets out and um, yeah it looks wonderful um, but it sounds horrible do we have to do that every time can't we come up with something a bit better that does both jobs One, one thing that always amazes me is that how infrequently people ask the question, what do you want your space to sound like? Very often people say, well, okay, what do you want this space to look like? But very rarely do people say, well, what, what do you want this space to sound like? And that's the question we always ask uh, on day one, really, is what do you want this to sound like? It's, it, it is surprising how, how very rarely that question gets asked. Uh, hi, I'm, I'm, I'm Nick. Uh, I'm an acoustician at Arup. I do all sorts of things to do with noise and sound and how to design buildings and environments to um, be better. Hi, I'm Ken Fong. I'm an, also an acoustic consultant in Arup. So we are sitting in Sound Lab. We have multiple Sound Labs uh, in our offices around the world. Uh, we like to call Sound Lab our perfect listening environment. And it's a place where we uh, do these things called oralizations. So they're sort of the uh, sound equivalent of visualizations. Listen now as my voice moves onto the stage of a concert hall. The sphere of loudspeakers surrounding you recreates the timing, strength, and direction of sound reflections using a three-dimensional audio format called ambisonics. Let's flip between some commonly used audio formats and 3D ambisonics, so you can listen for differences as we play back a live performance. First, let's listen to mono. Now stereo. Now 5.1. Now 3D ambisonics. Hear the difference? So 
we know architects, they create visualizations to show uh, a client what a space will look like before it's built. Uh, in similar fashion, we like to demonstrate to clients what a place would sound like even before it's built. It's all about reflections. It's all about how the sound is, what the sound does before it gets to your ear, I suppose you could describe it by. Uh, and by the computer modelling that we can do, uh, we can trace how sound reflects around a room. It's a bit like light. We can follow it and we can work out how the sound is going to get to your ear. Uh, and in a big space, obviously, it's going off to hit a wall or a, a balcony or a roof. It's quite some distance away and then it comes back to you and that takes time. And your ear and your brain do this incredibly clever processing that gives you a picture of what you think that room will look like based on what you hear. In, in the past, I suppose, you might, you might approach, say, the architecture or the visual in one silo, and you might say, oh, how does it sound? And that's another silo you consider. But increasingly now, you see the terms like experience design you know, being touted a lot more. And we're starting to recognize, really, when we experience a space, we do it multi-sensory. So the idea was that how do we best create a field of sound that is completely unpredictable? Uh, my name's Anthony Clark, and I started Bloxus in 2010. Joseph Gauchi Seddon, and I've been working at Bloxus for quite a while now, for and a bit years. Bloxus is a practice for empathetic and experimental architecture. Anthony and Joe are talking to us about the Soundfield project. The, the project was a collaboration between Bloxus and Arup, and so it's called Soundfield, but has also become an event and other things as uh, sounds of dementia. We always knew that, that having um, public awareness of dementia was one thing that the project would do, and that's the easy thing. It's not easy, but it's not, you know, to, to design a project based on our understanding of dementia, get people to experience and say, yes, you know. And we did have people with dementia saying, this is what it's like, you know, this, this I need my friends to experience this because this is the uncertainty of my life. It's not recreating the experience. It's using what we know about space and about sound to, to create architectural devices which can then communicate that experience. So what we do know is that dementia causes confusion, disorientation, frustration through the way one experiences sound. So we can, we can interpret that and then implement those same impacts through the design. You might hear a, hear a sound one second and then the next second it's gone and then you might hear it from through your other ear. Um, and so that creates a disorientating experience. So it's understanding what the consequences are of a condition like dementia and then using our understanding as architects to then communicate that. And always remember to touch on your Mikey at the start of your journey. We have 24 rotating panels and each one of those rotating panels has a different material, either 
transparent, you know, translucent, or it's textured, or it's smooth, or it has holes in it, or it's sound absorbing, so it treats sound in a different way. And then four of the, of the panels have holosonic speakers, which are speakers that send sound out in quite a tight um, sound beam. And the others are vibrating speakers, so they transmit sound um, based on the material in a sort of more um, vertical manner. Essentially, each panel rotates, so the more, the more people with inside the sound fiddle at the same time, spinning panels around, the more unpredictable the sound is. We originally thought that four or five people would be ideal experiencing at any one time, but what we found during the um, installation at the convention centre, part of Dementia Renaissance, was that the more people, like 10 or 12 or 15 people, was better because you realise, people started realising, and that's when their sort of empathetic response came in, is that people started realising that impacts they were making four panels away started to have an impact on what was happening to other people. So everyone was very aware that their decision-making process was having a quick outcome on somebody else's environment, which was, you know, which, which is, I guess, something that we'd predicted, but we didn't, we didn't really predict the people's responses. Well, I, I can tell you it wasn't pleasant, that's for sure. Uh, Ken and I spent quite a lot of time down at the exhibition guiding people around it, and we were very relieved when we could shut the door and switch the thing off, I have to say. What we're trying to do is to help the public understand what someone suffering from dementia hears or experiences. So the way it's traditionally done to create empathy among members of public is uh, you sit down, they give you a set of headphones, but it was very artificial because as soon as you put headphones on, you knew you know, you're, you're listening to something. So very early on, Anthony's vision was to incorporate architectural elements as part of this sound playback, right? He wanted to feel natural. He wanted to feel integrated as part of an environment and he needed to be a journey. So it's not something you just hear. It's something you fully experience. I mean, Alzheimer's is essentially, you know, a cognitive or a memory disorder. And so it's really hard for someone who had lots, you know, short-term or medium-term memory uh, functioning uh, to tie a sound they heard uh, you know, with what it actually is. So think about it this way. If you heard this sound, for example, you knew immediately, you go back to your memory store and say, someone's clicking your fingers in front of me, right? You know immediately. But when you lose or you sever the tie to a memory of the sound that you're experiencing, it can be a bit of a sensory overload. You're hearing this for the first time almost every single time. And your brain doesn't know how to cope with it. Is it a friendly sound? Is it a sound that's threatening me? And imagine that being multiplied with every single sound that you heard. So it can get quite overwhelming, right? Uh, and so one of the challenges we had was to create an installation that can reproduce all these sort of elements, uh, confusion, you know, that cacophony, uh, that difficulty in trying to isolate one sound from another, uh, the difficulty in trying to pinpoint where sound was. But do it for people or members of public that have normal hearing. Right? And that was really, really tricky because your ear is an incredibly, you know, powerful organ and you know hearing is an incredible sense it's really really hard to trick the ear so that was our design challenge
what I found really interesting in the Sounds of Dementia installation was this link between uh, what is noise, as in what is unpleasant noise, and memory. When we hear a sound, we might go, oh, that's just a shopping trolley moving past. That's making that unpleasant noise because I know it makes that unpleasant noise because I've heard it before. Whereas when you interrupt that memory of what that sound is, you decontextualize it and it becomes like frightening or jarring because it's in that moment, it's unfamiliar and decontextualized. I'm just really fascinated by this attempt by Bloxus and Arab to create a, a noisescape that is defamiliarized, that takes sounds that we that are recognizable because they're real, and then tries to turn them into unrecognizable sounds, and just by changing that, making them unpleasant. Yeah. Anyway, like that's something that I find really, really interesting in this conversation. Having got to that point and, and explained to people this sound and dementia suffering people it, are, are very much linked. We need to do something about this. Uh, and, and the next stage that we're interested in getting to is, yeah, this is a problem. What do we do to fix it? And what do we understand about acoustics that can help come up with something that would be better? Bloxus and Arup have now taken Soundfield to Monash University, where the system is going through tests by master's level design students. They're using a supermarket as a test case to better understand concentration levels, with the students testing themselves. They're eventually hoping to use Soundfield to better understand how people with dementia experience sound in everyday environments. The next stage for all of us, Bloxus included, is having done this and demonstrated what it must be like. What can we do to make it better? You know, there's hundreds of millions or billions of dollars being spent on on new dementia facilities and essentially they still treat people in a similar way than they did 50 years ago. They still use chains across doorways to stop people getting through. I don't think that really sets up an understanding of how people with these certain conditions actually experience life or experience certain environments and that maybe they're not, they don't look like that at all and maybe um, do we understand how people with dementia understand sound or light And do we design for that or do we just design for what we think looks nice? Architecture needs to go beyond how it looks. And for me, I get a lot of personal interest out of understanding particular conditions that people might have or particular conditions that that I think our built environment hasn't been designed for. And I find that fascinating. I guess a hero image is often, you know, the image that's published in international architecture publishing media. It's usually taken by a star photographer um, of a star architecture building often, and it's usually a building which is devoid of people or there's maybe, you know, one person in motion within the space, but um, it's really showing the kind of geometric uh, lines of a space, but not what it actually feels like to be in it. It's an iconic image. It foregrounds the shape 
of the building seen from one particular angle, which is often not a lived angle. It is not how the building would be seen from someone living there every day, uh, going through it. It often has very little to do with the lived experience of using that building. There's always a hero image, but there's never a hero sound. Like you'll never have a kind of acoustic understanding of what you know, a new contemporary icon of architecture sounds like. And I think that's quite interesting because architecture is designed to be consumed visually, but we just don't think about um, what it feels like to actually be listening in that space. But then the lived experience of our spaces is experienced through our bodies and through our ears. Like we are in these spaces and and we, we hear them and experience them through sound. Bogong's very quiet and Melbourne's very um, noisy, you know. It's funny, I don't actually mind the sound of the, bu- the construction. Yeah, no, I like noise. This is Madeline Cornish. Hi, I'm Madeline Cornish. I'm the co-curator, well, one of the many curators of Superfield, um, which is happening at Design Hub. It's um, a completely different way of listening. I really enjoyed Superfield for that. Like when I go into the exhibition space, I'm in the exhibition space, so I'm not giving thoughts um, to the outside world. Galleries are historically very, very poor locations for sound art, and it's one of the um, inhibiting kind of factors for for us generally, if anyone is a sound artist or practices sonically, art galleries are the worst place to, to articulate your experience. They're not designed for sound, they're not designed for temporal art, essentially, media arts in particular. They're designed for wall-based art, really, ultimately, 80-90% of the time, that's what they're designed for. This is Philip Samatsis, Artistic Director of the Bogong Centre for Sound Culture and one of the co-curators of Superfield at RMIT Design Hub. Yeah, Design Hub's no different. It's like it's a big cavernous space, lots of walls, huge ceilings. By and large, it, um, it's a challenge to install any type of work, I think, static and visual, in fact, in a space like this. But it has all the characteristics that um, I love about space. It gives us a lot of flexibility and freedom to, to play around with acoustics, to play around with um, spatial choreography. So in order to achieve that, we've more or less um, distributed 40 speakers through this space. A lot of them are in the ceiling. One of the important things about the project was hiding as much as possible the technical infrastructure, the, the equipment used to articulate the sonic experience in this room as you might have encountered with any kind of sound art exhibition. Normally there's a couple of speakers in the space and you get to hear someone's composition or or sound work through them. And during an opening, most people are milling around the loudspeaker, looking at it as if it's the artwork itself. That's a bit of a problem for me because the speaker is an interface. It's there to articulate the the sonic um, realm of of the project, but it's not necessarily there as a feature. It's pretty hard to hide a big black box. So working with Barack and Wright, um, they came up with this very graceful solution of uh, using the scrim to diffuse the presence of the technology. You can't count them. You can't really totally perfectly see all of them in a functionalist way. You know, the functionalist approach would have been, okay, we are working with with speakers. We want to exactly show them as part of the engine, as part of the machine. This is not our approach. We want to have this uh, play with them. But they are like 
again eerie presences hanging above you, suspended in, in the air. And they are there emitting a sound and yet they are also they could potentially fall on your head. <laughs> That's Mauro Baracco from Baracco and Wright Architects. Okay, I'm Mauro Baracco and I'm an associate professor at RMIT in architecture and urban design and I'm a director of Baracco and Wright Architects. Uh, Baracco and Wright Architects have been commissioned to design the exhibition fit out for this exhibition. In the next episode of Supercast, we're getting wild. How can architecture be working in, in synteny, in tune, in, uh, in integrations with the repair of, uh, let's, let's say, the natural system? And mind you, when I say natural, I don't necessarily mean the nature of the untouchable parks, which in this world uh, hardly exist. Supercast is produced by Assemble Papers and supported by RMIT Design Hub. Hosted by Eugenia Lim, Jana Perkovic and me, Beck Fari. I'm also the audio producer. In this episode, we heard audio from Soundfield, recorded and supplied to us by Arup. We first heard about Soundfield through the Sound of Dementia installation at M Pavilion, which was part of the event series Designing the Age-Friendly City by Sibling Architecture. Thanks to Anthony Clark, Joe Gauchy-Seddon, Nick Bolter, Ken Fong, Philip Samantzis, Mauro Baracco, Kate Rhodes and Fleur Watson for your time. Thanks to Simon Maish for recording the RMIT Design Hub Talk series. Supercast theme music is composed by After Midnight Luminata and supplied to us by the Houses in Motion label. For more Supercast, head to supercast.fm. <laughs>